Well, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, the fourth chapter. As we continue in this four-part series on yield not to temptation. Last week, we had a nice overview of temptation uh, uh, and understanding that the struggle is real, that temptation is always coming, it it, is always busy, it never stops, and Satan wants to take you down, take you out of the game. Temptation is anything that draws you away from the goodness of God. Whether that is sin of commission or omission, things that I have done, the things that God called me to do that I have not done. But temptation rears its ugly head when it is trying to distract us and keep us from focusing on that which is greatest, and that is Christ Jesus. So as we continue on today, we will be in Matthew Matthew, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse one. This classic case study, if you would, of what temptation looks like, just how Satan strategizes when he brings temptation our way, but then also what we are to do in following Jesus' example. Matthew, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 1, we'll read to verse 11. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hand they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve and and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And the Lord had a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. This morning's ser- sermon is entitled, Victory is Jesus. Victory is Jesus. Let us go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Father God, we come and we hasten to your throne. For your throne is the center of all things. Father, the center of this world does not revolve around us or this planet, but all things revolve around your throne in glory. So Father, as we come, as we hasten to your throne, may we do so with great humility, knowing that we deserve nothing, We don't deserve the privilege to be in worship one more time, but because of your mercy and your grace, through the blood of Jesus, empowered by your Holy Spirit, you bid us come. Come unto you. Come that we will eat. Come that we will drink and that we will feast on you this morning. So, Father, as we have entered into worship, Father, I ask that you prepare our hearts for worship. There are so many things going on. So many distractions, so many issues, so many problems that we can easily become detached from worship. But Father, have mercy on us this morning. Bring us back. Bring our hearts back. Bring our minds back to this moment right now. As you exalt yourself through your word, the preached word. So, Father, whatever issues of life may be here, may we understand and recognize that Jesus is enough. 
No matter how large the problem, Jesus is enough. No matter what has taken place on the job this week, Jesus is enough. No matter what's going on in our marriages, Jesus is enough. No matter how school has started, Jesus is enough. No matter about if sickness in my body, Jesus is enough. Remind us of these truths each and every time the tempter comes to whisper in our ear to make us doubt. Please speak to us this morning, dear God. Have mercy on me. May your word go forth with power and might that we would be changed. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. 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 Now these days, all the rage on TV are these survival shows. They have all kinds of survival shows. Shows you go as a group, shows you go one by one, shows you separate, shows you ain't got to have clothes on, but they have shows that are always talking about surviving in the wilderness. And it's interesting because for many of us, the forest or the wilderness is a foreign place to us. In the forest, in order to survive, knowledge is king. Because once there, you need to know how to build a shelter, what material to use, how to start a fire. You, you have to be aware enough to know what berries you should eat and what berries you shouldn't eat. You have to have the mind of what things should I touch, what plants shouldn't I touch, what plants should I use for toilet tissue, and what plants shouldn't I use for toilet tissue. But in order to survive in the wilderness, you have to know something. Or you need to know someone, a skilled instructor who is able to take you out to show you how to survive in the wilderness. You know, beloved, sometimes temptation can be very similar to surviving in the wilderness. Each and every day we come upon new challenges and we're trying to figure out what should I do? Should I say this or should I say that? Should I go here or should I go there? Should I stand up? Should I sit down? And if we don't have the right understanding of what's going on, it can be deadly. Dealing with temptation can be very overwhelming. Very overwhelming. And we can get, all, we can get caught up in trying to figure out what, uh, just what text does the, uh, sh- should I follow for instruction here, just what things should I do here? And we can make survival all about knowledge. I can come to church week after week after week and get fact after fact after fact, but surviving temptation is not all about knowledge. Knowledge is half the battle. It can be so overwhelming, but Surviving uh, temptation, it's not about what you know. It's about who you know. We believe that if we have a certain set of facts, we can overcome temptation. If I just knew this thing, if I just knew that thing, I can overcome this temptation. But victory over temptation doesn't come from facts. It doesn't come from mental assent. Victory over temptation comes when the mind, the knowledge of God, travels down 18 inches to your heart and impacts the heart of God. Where my head knowledge and my heart knowledge becomes one. I don't just know what I'm supposed to do, but I live how I'm supposed to live. This fusion of understanding of who God is and how I'm supposed to live Coming together is how we overcome temptation. This is correct belief plus correct conduct. This is orthodoxy and orthopraxy. It's living in a way that is consistent with my lips. So what do we do? How are we to deal with temptation? How do do we deal with all the doubt? As Satan whispers in your ear, to cause you to doubt God's goodness. How do we deal with this? It's not 
what you know. It's who you know. Victory over temptation comes when you look to Jesus to remove all doubt. Victory over temptation comes when you look to Jesus to remove all doubt. See, when you look, when you look to Jesus, he will lead, lead you from doubt to dependence. What I want you to see this morning in this text is that victory over temptation comes through knowing Jesus and not just the facts. In other words, victory over temptation is not just with Jesus. The victory is Jesus. Let's look at the text this morning. Let's begin with verse 1. Verse, verses 1 and 2, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Verses 1 and 2 give us a great uh, context for what's going on. It sets the tone of the entire passage of Scripture. One thing, verses 1 and 2, shows us that spiritual warfare is real. There are demonic forces in play attacking you. Wanting to come up against any, anything or anyone that, that wants to represent God and his purposes. Spiritual warfare is real. Satan is real. He, he is not some, some uh, uh, red-horned guy with a tail on a cartoon. Satan is real, and he's coming to you as an angel of light. He wants to make you think that he's not there. That's Satan's great, greatest trick, to make you believe that he's not real. Because if you don't believe that he's real, then you won't understand how serious temptation and sin is. But verses 1 and 2 set the tone for the text, and they give us an understanding of just what's going on. The text begins and says, then Jesus. We started there, then, then. Well, well, what happened? Prior to this text, we see that Jesus was baptized with the baptism of John. And at his baptism, as Christ is in the water, he comes up, the Holy Spirit comes down upon Jesus, and God proclaims and declares, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. His baptism is Jesus' public identification that his ministry is starting. This baptism is, is God's public declaration and proclamation of who Jesus is and what he will accomplish. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And we see that Jesus, he is led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus being led into the wilderness is a sort of, it's, it's a rite of passage. For Jesus. He, he's going where others have gone, but yet others have failed. He's going into the wilderness to be tempted and to be tested. If Jesus is going to be the savior of humanity, then he so well better know how to stand up to Satan and his schemes. Just as Israel was led into the wilderness, Jesus is led into the wilderness. If Jesus is going to be the new representative of, of mankind, he must pass the same test that Adam and Israel have failed. You know, in the third chapter of Genesis, we see how mankind falls into sin, and it begins with a whisper. It begins with, thou, did God say? Did he say? And it finishes up with a, with a bold-faced lie. You, you won't die. Eve succumbs to the serpent's temptation and brings in her husband to partake of the, uh, of the forbidden fruit. And all of humanity is cast and hurled into despair, into brokenness and depravity. Our, our vertical relationship with God is broken at that point. And, and our horizontal relationships with one, with one another are broken. You wonder why we got beef with one another so much? Sin, Satan, our nature. Sin enters in. God, through Abraham, raises up a people, Israel. And as he, he brings Israel out of Egypt, he says that, that this is my son. Speaking of Israel, this is my son. And he tells Pharaoh to let him go because they will worship me. And as 
they are released from, from bondage in Egypt. They go through the Red Sea. They go through the waters of baptism. And on the other side, they begin their wilderness temptation. But what happens? In the wilderness, they moan. They complain. They gripe. And, they, and they, they are constantly doubting God's goodness, doubting his power, and they fail the test in the wilderness. So if Jesus is going to be the savior of humanity, if Jesus is the new prototypical Adam, if, if he's the new prototype, then he must be able to withstand Satan's temptations. This is what we have planned out. He is in the wilderness. This is a a desolate place. There's no Indies, no Subways, no McDonald's. He is in a a desolate place by himself. Wild animals, the text tells us, are in the wilderness. And he's fasting 40 days and 40 nights. You ask some of us to fast two days, one day, and we're like, what? Give up food, whatever. 40 days and 40 nights. There's a reason for that, too. These 40 days and 40 nights correspond to the 40 years that Israel was in the wilderness. Jesus is the new man. So, all of this is going on. Jesus, he's weak, he's weary. This is a, he's by himself. This is a recipe for disaster. This is a precarious predicament. We, we know, and we've said before, temptation is most likely to occur when what? You're hungry, you're angry, you're lonely, and you're tired, right? Halt, halt. Temptation is like, this is a side note, this one's for free. Uh, temptation is most likely to come when you're hungry, you're, you're getting off work, you, 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 you're, looking, you're looking for that, that roast that been, that been steeping all day, you, 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 you want to come home to it, and someone cuts you off, oh, you go off. You come in the house, everybody want to hug and kiss, and you like, hold on, give me a moment, give me my space. You're hungry, angry, or things upset, upset you. When they told you you don't got all the right supplies for your child at school, you're like, what? I spent what? And they don't have what? And that temptation is right there. Temptation is there when you're lonely, when everybody else on Facebook and Instagram, they got their boo. It's Valentine's Day. Ain't nobody texting you. Temptation is right there. When you're tired, it's time for bed. See, you think babies get cranky when they're tired. Run across an adult who ain't had no nap in a couple days. Cranky. This is a recipe for disaster. Our great shepherd is in the valley of the shadow of death. Yet he fears no evil. He comes up against Satan's direct opposition, and as he does, He's faced with the first of three temptations. This first temptation is a personal one. Satan first attacks Jesus through his appetite, tempting Jesus to fulfill his wants apart from the will of the Father. We are reminded here to look to Jesus when tempted to doubt God's provision. Verse 3, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is going on here? Well, immediately we see Satan, he goes in. The tempter just begins lying. lying. This is who he is. You can never play with Satan as if he will abide by the rules. The first thing he says to Jesus, like, if you're the son of God, what is he doing? He is already going against the declaration God has just proclaimed. This is my son. He's taking God's word, and he's, he's causing some doubt. He's trying to, to break up the, the, the communion and union between Jesus and the, and the Father. 
He wants to tempt Jesus to use his divine power. But what's going on in, in, in this temptation? Well, Satan actually, wants, Satan actually wants to throw some shade on the fatherhood of God. He wants to make God look bad by saying, uh, well, if you're the son of God, then why can't your father give you some food? Well, if, you, if you're the son of God, your father must not be pretty good because you're down here hungry. If God is your father, then why is he holding back from you? He's not giving you what you deserve and what you should have. As Satan comes into the situation, and when Satan comes into your situation, he will take what God has said and try to cause doubt by reminding you not about God's word, but about your situation. See, it's easy to forget what God has said when you're thinking about yourself in a situation. When everyone's in a panic, when, when, when the car breaks down, when you run out of gas, when the job doesn't look good, or you don't get the job you want, it's easy to forget about the goodness of our Father when you're looking at the situation that's in front of you. This is what Satan wants to do to Jesus, to make him focus on the situation and not the plan and purpose that God has. So how does Jesus respond? It would be natural for Jesus to respond like, I am kind of hungry. It's been a minute since I ate anything. Because why? Uh, hunger is a natural appetite that we have. Satan is playing on this natural appetite to try to throw Jesus off, to try to lead him into temptation. However, Jesus, he doesn't respond through independence. He responds by dependence. And he says, man should not live by bread alone. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. Deuteronomy 8.3 is when Israel is in the wilderness and Moses is reminding them to obey all of the commandments, to do what God has said, because man should not live by bread alone. The thing that's going to keep you alive is not just bread out here. It's not just food that's going to sustain you. If you want to survive this temptation, if you want to survive your wilderness, then you need a word from the Lord. But unlike Israel, who did not trust God to provide food and water, Jesus does. Man lives not by food, but by following the commands of God. Jesus' desire is so tied to the will of the Father that obedience becomes his food. What does Jesus say in John 4? He meets the woman at the well. He, he tells her who she is, uh, everything that she's, been, she's done. He, he shows her that he is the living water. She runs off to tell everyone that she's met a man who told her about herself. Salvation comes to the Samaritan. The disciples come back, and, and, and they come back with food, and they say, Jesus, you haven't ate all day. Eat something, Jesus. Jesus said, I've already eaten. I've already got my grub on. I've eaten because I've, I've been out here doing the will of the Father. I've been sharing the gospel with the lost. I've been doing ministry. That is what's most important right now. Not me to sit down and take a break and take a snack. This is what Jesus is talking about here. He's not worried about the moment because he is completely trusting the will of God. Completely. What Jesus, uh, what Jesus understands is that the will of God is going to take you some places that you may not want to go. The will of God is going to take you to some uncomfortable places. The will of God is going to take you to some difficult places. The will of God is going to take you to some places that you would not have chosen on your own, but God chose it for you, and you are there in that situation. What, God, what Jesus is showing us is that when we trust God, we have to go where he sends us. But in descending, he will stretch us. He will teach us. See, this is our temptation. This is what we want to do. We, we, we want to doubt God's provision as soon as things don't go our way. As soon as we hear bad news, as soon as we don't get what we want, then we are tempted to doubt God's 
provision. Has God brought you to an uncomfortable place lately? Have you been out in your wilderness? As soon as things get a little rough, we begin to doubt our daddy. You want to be fair right now, but God is saying, not now, wait. Your stomach growling. You're like, Lord, give me some money. Lord, give me a relationship. Give me that man. Give me that woman. Lord, give me, give me those shoes. Everyone's going to be sweet going back to school. Give me them shoes, God. And when he does it, we say, see? He, see? He don't answer prayer. And we're tempted to doubt the goodness of God because of the situation that's in front of us, not looking back up how he's already provided for us in the past. In this temptation, God is saying, just obey me. Just obey me. No matter where you are, no matter what is going on, just obey me. Believe my word. Trust me. Don't doubt me. I told the story before. I'll tell it again. I remember being young, and it was my birthday, and my father had said he was going to give me a, a big old birthday cake. And I remember he picked me up from school. And, and we're headed home, and I didn't, I didn't, the first thing I said to him when I got in the car, I didn't, I didn't say, hi, Daddy, how was your day? I was like, did you give me the cake? Did you get the cake? And he sat, and he just kind of nodded his head. He's just looking at me like, like this boy. Dad, but, Dad, did you get the cake? And as we went home, I remember I, I, was, I, was, I was so mad that he didn't give me the cake. Now, he, had, he hadn't said nothing, had he? But he didn't give me the cake. I deserve the cake. It was my birthday. And on your birthday, you get birthday cake. We pull up in the driveway. We head into the house. Sitting on the table. Big old birthday cake. Waiting for me to come home from school. Beloved, we behave just like that. God is not giving us what we want in that moment. And we began to doubt God. He, he hasn't even said no. You've asked. He hasn't said no. He may have said wait, but you, I want it now. Give it to me, God. Give it to me, God. And when he doesn't come through, we are so tempted to say, well, God doesn't supply all my needs. We're looking at the situation, and we're not looking at God's purpose and plan. Don't you know that God grows your faith when you go through something? Like, you can't say you have faith unless you have to actually stand upon it at some point in your life. There's some point in your life, if you're walking with Jesus, that you actually have to say, I'm going to believe you, and I'm not going to do this myself. Temptation comes in the form of doubt, making us doubt God's goodness. But deep down, the the real issue is we want to provide for ourselves apart from the will of God. We just want to do what we want to do. We We don't want any stipulations. We don't want any strings attached. We want to say God jump and him to say how high. And we use, we use religion to get our way. We say, well, I'm going to be a good Christian. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do good things. And because I do good things, of course God will bless me. This ain't no prosperity gospel. God says that while I will send you, I will send you. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. When you come to Christ, he tells us count the cost. Count the cost before you come because you are, you're rolling up on something you just, you may not know what's really going on. You thinking that you all goody two shoes and God going to bless you, but you, but God wants to break you. God wants to break you. Because you, you're already formed, and in order to shape you into the image of Christ, he has to break you down first. He can't use no pre-owned uh, machine. He has to strip you of everything. He has to strip you of the baggage from when you was a child. He has to strip you of that baggage when you were, were a teenager. He has to get rid of, the, of what you've seen when you was in college. He has to take some stuff away from you to get you where he wants you. Don't doubt. 
Look, when you look to Jesus, you will see the Father's compassion. When you look to Jesus, you will see the Father's compassion. I'm reminded of Psalm 8411. Psalm 8411 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. What is he saying? He's saying, I can give stuff to people who follow me. I, 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 I can trust someone who has surrendered their life in order to live for me. So the question before us today is, do we really trust God's provision? Do we really believe what he has said? Jesus apparently does because he's quoting scripture. From there we see Satan take Jesus to a change of venue. He takes him to the temple in Jerusalem, to the pinnacle, to the very top. And as they're standing there, Satan tempts Jesus to require proof for his faith. See, this temptation reminds us to look to Jesus when tempted to doubt God's protection. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, here he goes again, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What is going on? Satan takes Jesus to this place where the Messiah would show up. The temple was the expected place where the Messiah would come. It's at the temple. And while there, Satan begins to quote scripture. Yeah, say, say no scripture too. He begins to quote Psalm 91. And Psalm 91 is a song that is all about God's protection. He's quoting this to Jesus. And what he says, he says, prove that your father is faithful. Does your father really love you, or is he an absentee dad? He wants Jesus to, to doubt God's protection. He wants Jesus to doubt that God is faithful to him, that he is in his very presence. So there's a, there's a matter of physical protection that harm would not come his way, that he will be kept, the presence of God will be there. But then also, there's protection in in, in his name. Satan wants to tempt Jesus to want his own vindication for his name. Because many people will come and they will blaspheme the name of Jesus. His mother and brothers thought he was crazy. The Pharisees talked about him. People was all, were always talking about Jesus in a negative way. And he could have said, hey, put some respect on my name. Y'all going to treat me good. He could have did that. No, he was obedient because Jesus responds. He already knew that there would be a moment where the father would turn away. He knew, he knew the cross was coming. And he already knew that his name would be slandered. But he quotes Deuteronomy 6, 16. When they were in the wilderness and they, time after time after time, they did not trust God. And they, and they were like, Ask God for proof. Like, opening up the Red Sea wasn't enough already. And they, they wanted God to prove himself to them over and over again in return for their faithfulness. Don't demand a sign of your choosing for proof, or for proof of God's faithfulness. Don't go to God and tell him what you want in order to prove that he is good. Well, God, uh, if you give me this car, this model, this color, and this VIN number, then I know you're good. Trying to tell God how he should bless you when he knows the beginning from the end. Don't concern yourself with what others may say about you. Always worried about what people say about you. They shouldn't be talking about me. 
Get my name out your mouth. Don't be talking about me. Don't worry about what people say about you. Because worse has been said about Jesus. And if we are followers of Jesus, bad things are going to be said about us. That's our struggle. We expect God to do what we want as a sign of his faithfulness. We test God. God, if you're real, do this. God, well, God, if, if, if you want me to believe in, believe in you, have a jet go by with a streak and make, make it do a, a, a circle in the sky, then I, I trust you then, God. It's like those commercials where he, the guy goes to Jared. He goes to this particular store to get the diamond, as if that particular store demonstrates love more than any other store. Satan wants us to look at God as a genie in a bottle, tempting him, testing him, when he's already proven himself. Has God not proven himself to you? You Just look at last week. Has God showed you that he's real? As you look back last year, last month, has God showed you that he is real and he, he can be trusted? Has not God demonstrated his power in your life? Some of us, we were, in, we were the worst of sinners, but God rescued us. Is that not testimony to God's goodness in our lives? We know people who, that we used to hang with that was horrible, that Jesus rescued. Is that not enough to prove his goodness? The fact that you woke up this morning in your right mind with a roof over your head, a car to drive, clothes on your back, food on your table, your, your LG&E is on, water's on, you got shoes on your feet, you got socks. Is that not enough to demonstrate God's been good to you? We always want God to one-up himself. How do you one-up the cross? How do you one-up a risen Savior? How do you one-up an empty tomb? He's already done enough. He don't have to prove anything to us. Has he not shown us his love and care for us, creating us in his image? He's already done enough. But the issue with us deep down, we want to protect ourselves. We want to protect ourselves. So what we do is we create steps to our faithfulness. If God blessed me with this, then I, I can grow a little bit. And then if he blessed me with this, then I can be confident. If, 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 if God does this, then I know he, he doesn't need steps to prove himself. Instead of going with God's plan A, we always want to create a plan B. We, we want to escape plan B. So we, can, so we hustle. And we be like, well, okay, so I know the Lord is calling me to this, but... If this don't work out, then what I do is, and then we come up with these plans, and it's funny how God crushed those plans just like he was crushing us in the first place. We suffer from a lack of trust. When you look to Jesus, you will see the Father's care. Look at Christ. Romans 8 tells us, 8 and 31, says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Verse 32, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If we're expecting God to do something, he's already done it. And giving us Christ Jesus, we have victory through him and not in our plan B. Look to Jesus when tempted to doubt God's protection. And finally, in the text, Satan takes Jesus to a high mountain where he can see the kingdoms of the world. 
Satan wants to tempt Jesus to bypass God's process. This last temptation reminds us to look to Jesus when tempted to doubt God's promises. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This isn't the first time that God's people have had a mountain view of things. Remember, this is a parallel to Israel in the wilderness. Just as Moses went up to the mountain, Jesus is brought to a mountain. Just as Moses looked over from the mountain into the promised land, Jesus is looking over into that promised land, the land that would be his. And as he he looks over uh, uh, into the land, it's at that point that, that Satan tips his hand. And we see what Satan is really after. See, like, like a bad episode of Maury Povich, Satan wants to be the daddy. Satan wants to be the father. He wants Jesus to submit to him and be his son. All the hating he's been doing on God the Father is because he wants to usurp his fatherhood and have Jesus as his son. Ruining God's redemptive plan. Making no hope for us causing us to be separated from the goodness of the Father for eternity, that's what he's doing. And what is he doing it with? He's he's enticing Jesus with instant gratification. Because the question is not, will Jesus have the kingdoms? The question is, when? And he's saying, Jesus, you can have the kingdom right now. Just take it right now. And, And you know how we are right now? All I got to do is worship you? Oh, how quick would we have been the knee? How quick would we have fallen down in worship, knowing that we would have received the reward just then? But Satan knows what he's doing. Because if Jesus bypasses God's plan, then there is no salvation. There is no Calvary. There is no tomb. And there is no point. As Paul says, uh, we're hopeless. We're hopeless. Satan entices Jesus with the easy road. You don't really want to go through that, all that, Jesus. Are they really worth all that? The beating, the spitting, the separation from the Father? But how does Jesus respond? He continues in steadfast obedience to the will and purposes of God. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. And talks about you, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. What he's saying is God has a plan. God has a process. And I'm going to believe him over you. My father is good to me. My father knows what's best for me. Mm. That's the problem we have. We think we know what's best for ourselves. When we go to the store, we shopping for ourselves, not what could be. We, we want it now. Instant gratification. Jesus, he, he said, I, I will not serve Satan. But, but, here's the other half of it. He, he won't serve Satan and he won't serve himself. Because Jesus would benefit by not going to the cross. He wouldn't have to be separated. He wouldn't have to go through all the pain and the hurt and the struggle. See, that's our issue. We think we we good on Satan. Why? A saint ain't got me. But we're worshiping ourselves, and we're thinking about ourselves, and we're serving ourselves. And that's why Jesus says, what profits a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What's What's the benefit if you go through high school, get all A's, get into the school you want, get the job you want, get the wife you want, but that whole time you are headed to hell uh, in a handbasket because you have not repented and trusted Christ. It's all temporary. But Jesus is guaranteeing eternal riches 
through his sinless sacrifice. If we're ever tempted by anything these days, we're tempted by now. We want it now. Like, like Veruca Salt and Willy Wonka. Not the new Willy Wonka, the old Willy Wonka. No, she, she wanted the, the, the goose that laid the golden egg. And what was the song that she sang? I want it now. I want it now. Beloved, unfortunately, people have been teaching us that we should have our best life now. If this is the best life gets, then I don't want it. But because I know that in glory, there's a home waiting on me, in that land of no more, no more issues, no more drama, no more cancer, no more poverty, no more racism, no more being broke, and no more issues. I'm living for that land. Willing to wait on him. But we want to worship ourselves. When you look to Jesus, you will see the Father's character. And you will see that we we have a good father. We have a good dad. And he knows what he's doing with your life. And he's not, he's not absentee. You think you got up out that bed and, and no one understands your struggle, no one understands your hurt. He says, I'm right there with you in the valley of the shadow of death. He said, I will lead you. I'm right there with you. You know how you was little, you went over to grandma's house and they had a painting, the footprints. Now everybody had a copy of footprints. But you know what? That's real. There's times in your life where you look back and you say, how did I get through that? How did I overcome? How did I make it? And the only thing we can say is, but Jesus. But Christ, look to Jesus when tempted to doubt God's promises. Even after all of that, the best part is almost verse 11. And if we didn't notice it, we would just, read, we'd just go right past it and skip it. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. What is he saying? God is showing Jesus, I've been with you the whole time. I know exactly what's been going on. I know, I know you're hungry. Here's some food. I know you felt by, your, by yourself. I know you felt lonely. But I've been here the whole time. I know there's going to be a hard moment in our relationship where I'm going to turn my back, but I'm right here. God is saying in verse 11, no matter what Satan tempts us with, just obey him and he will take care of us. He will take care of us. It's through Christ that we can say, be gone, Satan. See, Jesus not only knew scripture, Jesus obeyed scripture. So it'd be easy to look at this text and kind of see Jesus as this good moral example. Just do what Jesus did. What would Jesus do? But realize that if we were faced with the same thing, you would fall. I would fall. You don't believe me? Ask Adam. He fell. Ask Noah. Got drunk off his own grace. Ask Abraham. He was lying. That ain't my wife. Ask Moses. These knuckleheaded people. Ask David. Oh man, I know I got a bunch of women, but she looked fine too. Ask Peter. Oh, I won't deny you, Jesus. It's me and you, Jesus. I'll never deny you. Ask Paul, killing Christians on the road to Damascus. Ask anyone in the text. Would they stand? 
So when we look at the text, guess, guess what we have to say? We can never stand. Our hope is not in our ability to evade temptation. Your hope is in Jesus' ability to invade hearts. The fact that Jesus sends his Holy Spirit is where our hope is because it is the power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to want Jesus, to love Jesus, and to live for Jesus. That's what the gospel is all about. It's good news because we're broken. And sometimes we're just too prideful to admit it. But Daddy knows. So he sent us a Savior anyway, who lived a sinless life, performed miracle, miracle after miracle, demonstrating who he was, who was betrayed, who was beaten, spat upon, taken to Calvary's cross and crucified, placed in the tomb, buried, but yet three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. Scripture tells us that he rose with all power in his hand. Because he waited. He waited. So now because Jesus has all power, he gives me the power. He provides everything I need in order to stand up to temptation. Jesus not only gives me victory, Jesus is victory. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the truth of your word, for the power that comes upon us through, the, through your Holy Spirit, sent from God the Father and yourself. And Father, for anyone struggling, anyone who has fallen into temptation this morning, Father, I pray that you would break their hearts, break my heart over sin, break all of our hearts over sin, Help, help us not to just live with sin. May we not yield to temptation. But Father, we beg you this morning that you would deliver us from evil. For Satan is attacking us day after day after day. But glory be to God. Thank you, Father, that all we have to do is look to Jesus. And we will see that we are not alone, but we will see your compassion. We will see your care, but we will see your character, that you are a good dad. Father, have mercy upon us by allowing us to repent today, to be broken in our sin, that you may rebuild us and make us look more like Jesus. For your glory and name's sake we pray. Amen.